starting now. So we're recording this program, um, and thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, this is kind of a special or a little bit different program for us, I should say. It's focused more on tools and tips rather than some of the informational work that we usually try to provide people, and it's really focused on helping residents and families and ombudsmen and others who work with them to uh, to make their voices nursing uh, excuse me their voices heard in the nursing home and beyond. So uh, a little bit about us for those of you who are not familiar with Long Term Care Community Coalition (LTCCC), we are a nonprofit organization completely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for people in long term care, particularly in residential care, including nursing homes and assisted living. Our focus has always been uh, policy analysis and systemic advocacy, both in New York and nationally. But in recent years, we've been doing more and more education of consumers and families, of long-term care ombudsmen and other stakeholders. And we are the home of the local long-term care ombudsman program for the Hudson Valley in New York, which I am very proud of. So um, thanks to all of, you ombuds, all of you ombudsmen out there uh, your work is so important, and I'm really thrilled that we're able to have the Amazon program for the Hudson Valley. And uh, for me, I joined LTCCC in 2002, actually November 2002, just uh, had my anniversary, and I've been the executive director since 2005. So a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to do a very brief background on the nursing home reform law and residents' rights. Uh, we usually spend some time on this, on that, but again, I, this is really more focused on tools rather than on, uh, you know, learning about specific, uh, residents' rights and issues, et cetera. So I wanted to cut that a little bit shorter for this program. And then the focus of the program will be on, again, how you can make your voice heard both within the nursing home and outside the nursing home. And we've come up with some really neat tools that I'm very excited to be talking about today. Uh, a note before we move on that we're going to be discussing tools today that will support resident-centered advocacy. They could be useful in substantiating a complaint, you know, say with the Department of Health, with the Medicaid fraud control unit, with an attorney, but that's not what we're going to be specifically discussing today. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a program in March on filing complaints and reporting problems, suspicion of abuse, neglect, et cetera, in March. So these tools can be useful, but we won't be talking specifically about, uh, you know, about filing complaints or, uh, or the different avenues in which you can do that. So a little bit about the reform law. So the reform law, also known as over 87, requires that every nursing home resident is provided the care and quality of life services sufficient to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable physical, emotional, and psychosocial well-being. This is true for every single resident in the facility, no matter whether their care is paid for by Medicare, by private pay insurance, out-of-pocket, or by Medicaid, it does not matter. These rights go to every single person, short-term, long-term, et cetera, who is in the facility, whether they have dementia, whether they, uh, you know, are not cognitively impaired, uh, whether they're a ventilator-dependent, TBI, et cetera, it does not matter. 
these rights, all the, these federal rights, go to every single person in the, in the building. Importantly, this is what we pay for when nursing homes, um, when, when nursing homes contract with Medicare or Medicaid, they agree to provide these services for every single resident. They sign essentially a contract. And needless to say, this is what every resident deserves. Uh, you know, I cannot think of, of course, anyone who deserves any less. Certainly I would not want that for myself or for anyone who I love, and I'm sure that others feel the same way as well. Uh, before we move on, I want to just talk a little bit uh, about what highest practicable means. And again, this is language, and why I wanted to focus on it, include it here, is it's actually from the reform law. It's repeated over and over again in the federal standards, is that highest practicable goes to the individual based upon what he or she is able to do, what he or she could be able to do with the appropriate services, what he or she wants to do uh, in terms of their goals, etc. It is not highest practical in respect to what the nursing home may or may not want to provide. It's not not highest practical in terms of, oh, well, we have X number of staff. This is what we are able to do. No, the reform law requires that facilities have the staff, have the services available to, to ensure that every resident is able to attain and maintain what he or she is able to do, what is practicable for them. And it's not just clinical, it's not just medical, it includes emotional and psychosocial well-being. Uh, and what I always think about when this issue comes up is, you know, they're not running a YMCA. This is not a, a facility is not a YMCA where they hand someone a towel and say, there's your room that you're sharing with other people. This is a really important uh, and an important responsibility. And that's why nursing homes get paid more. That's why they are called skilled nursing facilities is because we expect and have a right to expect that our residents are going to be getting this level of care and services. The emphasis in the law and in all the standards is on that resident-centered care, and it was in response to significant abuse and neglect that existed, um, you know, that we, we learned about in the late 70s, early 80s, of course, before the time as well, but that there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of really significant issues going on at that time that led to the reform law. And I recall visiting my great-grandmother in a nursing home when I was a kid, and the nursing home smelled really bad, and she was strapped into a wheelchair. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this before. Nursing homes, generally speaking, are not like that. Some are, but for most of them aren't. They've improved as a result of the reform law. But there's still uh, a lot of ways to go, and that's why uh, we're here. That's why the organization is here. That's why so many ombudsmen are here. Uh, so many people who, uh, you know, families, of course, who are advocating for their residents, residents who are advocating for themselves, et cetera. Uh, and again, why? Because of those persistent problems. What I want to do is just mention a few of them here. Uh, one is that uh, the majority of nursing homes have less staffing than federal studies have indicated as necessary to meet residents' basic needs. And we're going to be talking about staffing. I think in the next program in December, if not in one of the next programs coming up, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about identifying uh, the staffing that is in your nursing home, both direct care and, and non-care staff, because they're important also, 
and some advocacy around that as well. But suffice it to say that, you know, most nursing homes, I think it's um, 91% in one federal study, um, one federal study found that 91% of nursing homes don't have enough staff to meet one or more needs of their residents. And that study found that about 50% of facilities don't have enough staff to meet any of the needs of their residents as, as they identify. They looked at, at a range of needs and that was how low the staffing was for in many facilities. Not all, but many facilities. Antipsychotic drugging we know continues to be a major problem. We've talked about that in the past. It's been a big issue for us as an organization and trying to uh, trying to connect with residents and families and ombudsmen and others who work with them, including nursing homes, but how to reduce unnecessary drugging. It's, it's so, you know, so dangerous and damaging to residents. Uh, we still have thousands of residents across the country who suffer with pressure ulcers every day. Uh, pressure ulcer care, according to the CDC, is, you know, an important indicator of the quality of care in a nursing home. And then the last uh, thing that I wanted to mention on the slide is in 2014, the U.S. Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services did a study on adverse events for rehab uh, patients, people that were going to a nursing home for short-term rehab. And this was so striking to me. They found that one-third of short-term rehab residents were harmed within about two weeks of entering the facility and that 59% of that harm was avoidable. Uh, importantly, you know, besides the fact that this is so astounding, uh, it's important to also note that their nursing homes receive a significant amount of money and there are very high profit margins for Medicare rehab services. So when we hear that nursing homes are not providing the appropriate oversight for so many residents, the monitoring, the care, and those are residents for whom they're getting paid a lot of money, a significant, uh, significant amount of money, that is really troubling because it indicates to us that even when they get, you know, even when nursing homes get paid, if they're not driven to provide good care, if they're just looking at the bottom line, then they are still not providing good care, even for those residents for whom they're making so much money. So again, you know, I wanted to emphasize here that there are many nursing homes that are providing good care. I know, uh, you know, I've met many administrators throughout my career who I thought were really dedicated to doing a good job, to thinking about their residents, to tailoring their services to their residents as individuals that are truly invested in their nursing home as a community. But unfortunately, there are many nursing homes and the for-profit industry is increasing the corporatization of nursing homes is increasing uh, in, in New York State and across the country, and that is leading to some significant, many significant issues for residents. There are just too many facilities that are willing to cut back on staffing and cut back on services in order to increase profits, and unless there is enforcement of those minimum standards, unless those standards are implemented, then there's really nothing in between a nursing home, nothing stopping a nursing home from cutting back to the bone on staffing and residents suffering as a result. So we're going to talk about two things today. One was the making your voice heard in the nursing home, and the second is outside the nursing home. So first, inside the nursing home, I want to start with a few um, pointers and notes 
One, I think it's really important, and I don't know if Gloria, our program manager, program director, excuse me, in Hudson Valley is on today, but she reminded me of this just this week, is that it's really important to be polite, especially when you're working with, uh, you know, with workers in the nursing home. Many of them are overworked. Too often, again, nursing homes are not, uh, are understaffed. Excuse me, they are understaffed. So it makes their work very difficult. Most people want to do a good job. You always have some bad apples in any organization, including nursing homes. Uh, there is a lot of pressure there again, but most people want to do a good job. And nobody likes to be attacked or to feel badly about the job they're doing. Uh, I know this is, this is hard. As I said, I've been a family member with my great grandmother, with two grandparents, uh, more recently with, with my brother-in-law. Uh, it is upsetting when you see someone suffer. Uh, it's upsetting to think that they're being neglected or that, you know, certainly if there's possible abuse, uh, if they are declining because they're not getting good care. But it's really important to keep in mind as much as you can that we, you know, in order to effectuate our goal of improving care, of overcoming those poor conditions, we want to be as constructive as possible. Secondly, I wanted to mention that, you know, it's really important to know your rights. It's very hard, I think, to advocate for your rights if you don't know what they are. So we have a lot of materials in our learning center. Uh, we have the a primer on nursing home quality standards. We have fact sheets on nursing home quality standards. And all those are free and hopefully pretty easy to use to identify, well, you know, for instance, what's going on here? My my um, mother has dementia, for instance, and she is, uh, she's being given drugs to sedate her. Is that a good thing? Um, what else can be done? Uh, you can find some of those things out at the, on the Learning Center, excuse me. And again, all those materials are free to use, adapt, whatever. We really just want to get the word out and make them as useful as possible. Uh, thirdly, I would say working together whenever possible. You know, try to work cooperatively with facility staff. One of the things that I heard uh, was actually last year at a program that a family member was speaking at, and she said that she tells the staff, these are my rights, how can you help me to achieve them? And that was really striking to me. Because we're used to advocating, you know, this is what I, this is what I have a right to, et cetera. But bringing the staff on board with you, saying, how can we make this happen could make a real, real difference. Uh, secondly here, I think joining a resident or family council, and this is, this project is, uh, that we're doing here and part of this program is, is really focused on, uh, how can we empower resident and family councils? Because that's essential. We've been doing some work, as I mentioned earlier, with family councils now for um, the past several years with funding from the New York State Health Foundation and from the Fan Fox and Leslie R. Samuels Foundation. And the reason why we've been doing that is because studies have shown that when there is an active family council, care improves for all residents in the facility, not just those who have a family member, but actually for everybody. So, you know, when I think about what I can do in my advocacy, one of the things was, well, let's, you know, what can we do to help family councils be better prepared to work together um, and to be able to tackle some of these issues? Excuse me. Lastly, I would say keep good records, and that's really the focus of today's program, is that, you know, I found over the years, both for myself personally, with my own doctor, 
when talking to a family member's doctor or someone in the nursing home, trying to help them, that it can be very confusing. It can be a very stressful situation. And it's very hard to keep good records because who, you know, I know I don't think about it. I don't think about necessarily taking notes. Who did I talk to? When did I talk to them? What do I expect to happen? What are the next steps, et cetera? So that was part of the impetus for us putting together these free tools that we are going to be talking about today. Uh, before we move on, I just wanted to mention in terms of within the facility, who to speak to is that, you know, we recommend starting with people working closest to the resident and working out from there. It's not helpful. And this gets again to being, you know, trying not you know, to be polite to the staff, uh, is that nobody wants you to immediately go to their boss and get them in trouble. Starting at the very beginning, starting with the people who are working closest to the resident is, I think, most constructive. Um, there's also now under the federal regulations, every nursing home must have a grievance officer. That grievance officer is responsible for taking complaints. Those complaints could be anonymous. They must personally lead any necessary investigation. So if it has to go to the director of nursing, if it has to go to administration, et cetera, that is their job to do that. And it's their job to track that through conclusion. This requirement, which is something that we and others advocated for in the regulations that came out in 2016, the new federal regulations, it's really important because, you know, again, so many residents or, you know, so many family members that I've spoken to over the years say, well, you know, I complained about this in, in March and here it is again, uh, you know, or complained about this six months ago and now the same thing is happening again. Well, that is not necessarily useful in terms of substantiating a complaint, in terms of moving it forward, whether it be informally within the facility or to a state health department, et cetera, is that it's really helpful to have something that is contemporaneous, so something that you wrote down at the time, okay, I spoke to Nurse Jones uh, today, and this is what I think is going to happen. And this way you have it, whether you file it someplace in, on your uh, computer or on your phone or in a hard copy in your, in, in your desk drawer, et cetera, it doesn't matter. At least you have some record, and that's what we're trying to do today. One of the things is to make that as easy as possible. Excuse me. Uh, next, the long-term care ombudsman, as many of you know, and many of you are ombudsmen, ombudsmen can be extremely helpful in navigating and resolving a problem within the facility. If you have an ombudsman who's visiting, I strongly recommend speaking to him or her. And if your ombudsman is not there or you don't have an ombudsman who's coming to the facility, you can contact the long-term care ombudsman office. Uh, every facility should have posters listing the number of the local ombudsman program or the state ombudsman program. Usually those posters are in English and in Spanish, which is what I've seen. Uh, they can be in other languages as well. I believe that all the ombudsman programs have some language assistance. If you are speaking a language other than English, uh, either a resident or a family speaking another language, that they can help you. And then you can always search long-term care uh, ombudsman or nursing home long-term care ombudsman online, and that will get you to some contact information as well. And lastly here, again, I wanted to, to reiterate uh, family and resident councils, is that they can be an important vehicle. There is a lot in the new standards that came out in 2016 and the new surveyor requirements that came out last year the new inspection requirements, that the surveyors have to be talking to resident and family councils. They have to be talking to them as early as possible in the survey 
to find out what's going on and to respond to complaints. And that's why, again, some of this, you know, some help with tracking, I think, could be useful. I just want to note, you'll see on the arrow on the side, that, you know, these are some general suggestions and recommendations about who to speak to. But if you're faced with an emergency situation, if you're faced with something in which someone is really, you know, is at risk, then, of course, you know, take the steps necessary, whether it be to alert the um, clinical staff immediately, to, you know, call 911 if, 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 if you need to, et cetera. This is just for generally speaking in terms of trying to work through and resolve an issue. So without further ado, we're going to talk about some of the new resources that we put together. This is a picture of our website, uh, nursinghome411.org. As you can see, on the left-hand side of every page is the um, is essentially, you know, the different areas that you can go to. So this, a lot of this, this, excuse me, is in the learning center. We also have information data on nursing homes. I'm just scrolling down the left-hand side. We have an action center. We'll talk a little bit about that today. We have news and reports. We have a special page dedicated to assisted living, uh, and then also special special pages for long-term care and our home state, New York State, specific information for New Yorkers. We have a dedicated page for our Hudson Valley Omsden program as well. Uh, so you can scroll down here. This is the new Family and Ombudsman Resource Center. So we are just putting up some new materials, and you can find everything that we talked about today on this page, or from this page, excuse me. So here are some of the forms and resources that we're going to be talking about today. They're in two columns. On the left-hand side, as it says, are Word files. On the right-hand side are PDF files. So you can download the document either in Word or in PDF, whichever is easier or better for you. I wanted to make that as, again, we're trying to make it as user-friendly as possible. So what I'm going to do for the rest of this part of the program is talk about some of the forms uh, and resources that we put together. The first one, and I thought this was, I hope it will be really useful, I, I think it's really interesting, is we wanted to put together something that enabled people to clearly iterate their personal preferences for nursing home staff. And part of what I thought about uh, in doing this was my Aunt Hilda uh, was in a nursing home for several years out on Long Island. And I remember when I went to visit her, you know, she would have a sign up, you know, actually my, my her daughter, my Aunt Linda, uh, had put up a sign saying that, uh, you know, that she prefers to be called Hilda, uh, that was her name, and she, you know, likes certain things and she doesn't like certain things. And it was just written in magic marker, so it would be really bold. I remember when my brother-in-law was in a nursing home uh, a couple of years ago, they um, there was a poster, you know, they, not the poster, excuse me, but a sign that they put up above his bed which said that Bernard is blind because Bernard was blind. Uh, unfortunately, frankly, uh, and it's certainly not funny, but a lot of uh, the staff ignored that or didn't really fully understand that, but um, Bernard was blind, and it's important to, um, you know, to know what it is that you need, know what it is that you want, and express that and, in as effective and meaningful way as possible, and that's really the goal of this. So what we did on the first page here, and I only copied the first page, is I put a little bit about me, and I thought, what are the most essential things that, uh, or some of the basic things that I would want someone to know when they were coming into my room or they were providing care for me. So here we have, 
I prefer to be called, uh, you know, I prefer to be called Richard. I'm not Richie. Um, not rich to anybody but my parents, but uh, I prefer to be called Richard. Some people might say um, Mr. or Mrs. Uh, X. Some of them, you know, may not care. But I know that a lot of older people in nursing homes, uh, they get offended when someone calls them honey or, or sweetie, um, that they find that demeaning. And, and that is their, certainly their right. So I prefer to be called. Uh, some things I thought I like to wake up. I like to wake up naturally or I like to wake up around 8 o'clock. Maybe I want to get my day started at, at a certain time or not. Uh, a little bit about my preferred morning routine. Is it important to me? And so what do I want to have happen? So I want to, you know, get dressed and be out. So I want to have a little time to myself before just to get my bearings. Uh, and then bathing preferences. Again, these are just some really basic information so that someone's coming in, taking a glance and say, you know what, don't throw me into a shower. I hate a shower. I want to be in a bath. And here's, as you can see, hopefully here, there's a space for, you know, notes, et cetera, that people can put in, you know, things that are important to them. Some basic music TV preferences. Uh, or if they prefer to have quiet time in the room. Why? Because it, it's, I find it very upsetting, to be honest, when I go into a nursing home and I see TV channels turn to TV stations that it seems pretty clear to me the resident did not choose. And what I assume happened was that someone came in, was providing care or was, you know, um, changing sheets or whatever, and they put on their station and they never bothered to change it back or to, you know, to what the resident would like or to turn it off. And as you can imagine, that's not something that is easy for a resident to do on his or her own. So it's really important. And the other reason why I thought this was important in terms of having it up on the first page, just a little bit about me, is that sometimes people get, especially people with dementia, may get agitated, they may be upset, uh, that here we can have, well, you know what, uh, she likes to have classical music or she likes to have uh, hip-hop music or 50s music, so that if someone was, you know, not able to express or the staff person didn't know, they could look at the sheet if the resident family wanted them to. Uh, they could have that out and say, okay, you know what, let's, let's um, bring her back to her room and let's put in this CD because uh, we know that she's going to enjoy listening to that. And then lastly, of course, just along that line is we included some things that I enjoy or find comfort in. So know a little bit about me. Know about me. Know about what I might need if there is, you know, some kind of stressful situation. What I wanted to mention, you can see in the first page here, uh, it's about a, I think it's a six-page document, and you could use as little or as much as you like in terms of, of course, filling out the forms, is that we note here that federal law requires that every resident's preferences are recognized, respected, and reflected in the care and the services that they receive. Uh, undoubtedly, when we live with other people, there are some compromises, especially if we have a roommate. That involves even more compromises. But the facility is required to take meaningful steps to meet each resident's needs and preferences as an individual. So, you know, I give an example here. Uh, it's something, you know, you know, we hear this kind of thing all the time. You know, Sam likes to eat meat. 
Uh, that does not mean that the facility has to give Sam Flavignon every every day or or every week, etc. However, facilities are required to provide tasty, appealing, nutritious food at every single meal, and they should endeavor to regularly offer dishes that Sam would enjoy. So that could be maybe a stew with some meat in it. It could be you know chopped meat, etc. But offering Sam a cheese sandwich as a meal substitute on a regular basis is not appropriate. And what made me think of that? Because my Aunt Hilda, I remember going to visit her, and she didn't care for the food uh, at the facility. And we would see when we come back to her room, she would have in a, you know, in a, in a, on a plastic plate with a top on it, you open up the top, and there was a cheese sandwich waiting for her. That's, that's not appropriate. That's not resident-centered care. And nutrition, you know, uh, you know, having good food, having food that you enjoy, you know, at least, is an important part of pretty much everyone's life. Uh, but nutrition and hydration are critical issues for nursing home residents. Uh, a few other topics that are covered in the in the form, which is available on our website, uh, we have a personal background, we have sleeping preferences, dressing preferences, grooming preferences, activities preferences. We have a more space to indicate what kind of TV or music the individual likes, whether they have religious or spiritual preferences, if they're going to church or to temple or to mosque, if they want to have those services brought to them, if that's important. We really want to make this, again, as useful and as easy to use as possible. So it looks pretty much uh, like what you see here in terms of the chart, and it could be filled out. You could print it out, fill it out by pen. You could fill it out, type into it, and keep it on your computer or print it out from your computer um, like that, etc. cetera. Uh, I think this is also really important for residents who have dementia because so often people just don't know what to do. Uh, and by people, I mean facility staff, sometimes even uh, family members of a family member is there, but, you know, quite often it's really facility staff. And, you know, what, what do they want? What would comfort that resident? Comfort care is so important. That's, you know, more and more when we talk about dementia care, we talk about what is going to make this person comfortable. Um, what would this person like? And so that's why I think that this form is can be really, really you know, truly valuable. And I, and I hope it will be. I hope that it will be used uh, in that way that if you are uh, a loved one of a resident with dementia, maybe you can't be there, maybe you live across the country, maybe you live, uh, you know, in another town, uh, maybe you work, et cetera, and are not able to get there, is that, you know, you, you can sit down and take a few minutes to talk about, well, I know that my mother does not like to get up early. So, you know, allowing her to sleep till at least 10 o'clock would be really valuable in terms of her having a better outlook, her being able to be more aware and engaged during the course of the day. Uh, I know that my father has always taken showers. So say if he has dementia, putting him in a bath would probably be a very alarming thing for him. It's not something that he's used to. It's not something that is familiar to him. Uh, and it may be something that makes him feel very uncomfortable. And I would say, again, just like we spoke before about how can you engage staff members uh, in a constructive way, is that this can be really useful. I mean, at first, some, you know, people say, well, this is our routine. This is what we have to do in our facility. 
Well, again, the resident's rights are to have the routine be adjusted as much as possible to them so that they are achieving their highest practicable physical, emotional, psychosocial well-being. So if, you know, I would say in a situation like the bath versus the shower is that, you know what, if you give my father a bath, he's going to continue to become very agitated, require more people to give him that bath, etc. If you give him a shower, then he is less likely to become agitated. It makes your job so much easier, so much faster, etc. Next, I wanted to move on to a uh, record-keeping form for residents. So this gets back at what I, to what I mentioned earlier, that, you know, we speak to people, and, and I do this myself as well. You know, I remember that in, uh, you know, October, I spoke to my doctor about something, and then I don't really remember what I was supposed to do after that or how long something, you know, if, if I was taking a medication, how long it was supposed to take to work, say I had a rash or something. Uh, am I supposed to be taking this medication forever, or is it supposed to heal in six months? And the same, of course, goes true, especially, I would say, in a stressful environment of a nursing home where you're saying, oh, you know, I, you speak to a nurse aide, and, and, and he or she said that they would take care of it, and then it was taken care of, but then nothing happened, you know, but then it relapsed again. The same thing started happening again, and now your loved one is getting upset. So this was was, or is, excuse me, uh, hopefully an easy way to keep track of what is going on with your residents, of a concern that you have, who you spoke to, when you spoke to them, etc. So here we have at the top of every page today's date. So just to jot down, and again, this is something that you could print out and you could use, uh, you could handwrite or you can type in uh, and keep it on your computer, etc. Uh, date when the issue was occurred or was discovered. Uh, so say, for instance, you discovered that your aunt had a pressure ulcer. Uh, so you would mark that down, uh, mark down the date, and you could just try issue, you know, pressure, pressure ulcer or pressure ulcer, on, you know, uh, under her heel or on her buttocks, and that you spoke, staff spoken to, that you spoke to the CNA or maybe you spoke to the, the nurse at the nurse station, and action taken or a response, excuse me, they said that they would take care of it, that they would have, the doctor come in, uh, you know, the next morning and look at it. Okay. And then, you know, again, if you go to the second page, that you can use this page over and over again. I just wanted people to have a way to easily and quickly track the progress of any problem that they encountered. So, you know, issue update is that maybe the next week you came back to visit your aunt and it was, you know, things seemed to be um, healing uh, she was getting the treatment that she needed. The doctor had seen her. Fine, fine, fine. Just add, you know, just add in that there. And then you could hold on to this. You can easily, I, I take pictures of things I scan with my phone, things I want to keep, and I save them as pictures in a file. Um, and any way you want to do this, of course, uh, that might be useful to you, I, you know, I hope that you'll do that or encourage others to do that. And then if that issue comes up again, say two months later, you see that she's got another skin breakdown someplace. What's going on here? What what did they do? My, my question would be, well, okay, what did they do to make sure this didn't happen again? Because now, as of the first time, the facility was put on notice that, hey, uh, my aunt has a propensity uh, or is at risk for skin breakdown, for pressure ulcers. So I go back to this, 
And I could say, well, I spoke to director of nursing, uh, Jameson, nurse Jameson, and she, you know, and she said they were going to be taking care of it. Well, let me go back to Ms. Jameson and say, well, what's going on? Or let me go back to maybe Ms. Jameson left. Um, or she's not there the day that I came in. I can say, well, I spoke to Ms. Jameson in November and, uh, she told me this to be taken care of. And now I see that my aunt has pressure skin. What is going on? What is going on? Um, with her care, uh, and what can the facility do to, um, what is the facility going to do, excuse me, to make sure that this is treated and doesn't happen again. So as I know at the top of the second page, you can make as many copies of this as you need. I tried to make it a little bit briefer so you can actually include two updates on the page going forward. Uh, if you download the document, you could of course change it in any way that, that you like. But I, I thought this was simple enough to use, but also uh, meaningful enough that it would be useful. And then lastly is the resident assessment planning form. Now we did a program a couple of years ago with family councils on uh, resident assessment and care planning. And I think you know, we, we heard some um, really tremendous feedback on that. And, and again, your feedback you know, I, I thank you for everyone who gives us feedback. It's really helpful. We want to hear about the strengths and the weaknesses of the programs, what you need to know, uh, you know, things that we could do, you know, make better, et cetera. Please, um, your input is really valuable and valued. But one of the things that we learned from doing this program on assessment and care planning is that people really responded to that. People did not know quite often what their rights were in terms of the assessment and care planning process. So I'm actually going to skip ahead for one second because what I did was on the next sheet, next um, uh, page, excuse me, I included our resident assessment and care planning fact sheet. You can see what a fact sheet, for those of you who haven't looked at them before, looks like. It's uh, two-sided. They're always um, two pages or less, generally the two pages. It includes here on page one the requirements around resident assessment we always include the CFR, that's the Code of Federal Regulations. So you're not just saying, well, LTCCC said I had this right, that everything that we include there can be looked up if you wanted to or cited to. It's actually part of the Federal Code, um, the, the Code of Regulations. Then the F tag is the citation tag. If the facility has been cited for that, you could see that on their statements of deficiencies. But most importantly is this is the these are the requirements. Number one, resident assessment on the left-hand side. Number two, comprehensive person-centered care plan. Those are the federal government's words, not my words, um, that the care, the care planning has to be comprehensive and resident-centered, person-centered is what they put here. Uh, we have a couple other fact sheets on these issues because uh, CMS, the federal agency, expanded some of those requirements in 2016, so we added uh, these, these fact sheets, this fact sheet, excuse me, is current. I uh, just wanted to make sure you're, you know, that that's clear. But CMS added some additional uh, requirements and setters that I thought would be useful. So we added another uh, fact sheet and some more information. But you could see here, looking back at the left-hand side, the assessment must include at least the following. This is all from the federal language identification, demographic information, customary routine of the individual, his or her cognitive patterns, his or her ability to communicate, her vision, uh, mood and behavior patterns, psychosocial well-being, et cetera. So 
we had urged last year to use this as a checklist, what we actually did in this new form that we put out that, again, is on our website, free to use, free to share, it's the resident assessment planning form. So for each one of those topics, we put a little bit of information, we put the, the title of the topic, so you can see identification and demographic background, customary routine, cognitive patterns or issues. So we put in, for each one of those things that are required under the federal requirements, we put them in here so you could jot down some notes. You could put some issues that might be of concern to you coming in to the resident assessment. I just want to note here on the, you know, I included a couple of paragraphs just to explain, uh, you know, what this is and why it's important. In the second paragraph, federal standards state, quote, that the assessment process must include direct observation and communication with the resident as well as communication with licensed and non-licensed direct care staff members on all shifts, unquote. That's directly from the federal guidance. So that tells you that you have the right to be there if you're representing the resident. The resident has the right. It's expected that they, that they are there or whoever's representing them is there and that there are, is a meaningful presence and input of the care staff who are familiar with the resident and his or her needs. And then we have, again, all these, you know, we want to do is give an opportunity for people to identify what concerns they have going into the resident assessment, what issues they may want to address. So in parentheses, for some of these, we put some examples just to help kind of spur the mind of the individual, whether it's the resident, the family member, the person who is working with them to identify what some of those, uh, what, what some of the underlying issues can be. So example, for vision problems, we have, for example, do they have blurry vision? Do they have floaters? Do they have, you know, flashes? Uh, with concerns about psychosocial well-being, second from bottom on the left-hand side, we include, you know, are they getting appropriate activities? Is the social environment meeting their needs? How are they, you know, how are they fitting in? How is it working for them? On the right-hand side, just, you know, I'll mention one more on the top, continence issues. So are there issues with the individual's bladder or bowel function? Are they constipated? Are they relying, you know, do they rely on assistance? to go to the bathroom, because that should be part of the, the assessment process. And that is a youth continence, you know, care, receiving appropriate continence care, not being put in a diaper. These are frequent and, and significant issues for, for our residents. So I hope, again, just before we move on, that this could be easy for you and the people that you work with to use to jot down some of the issues that are important to them going into the resident assessment so that they can be as prepared as possible. And again, the assessment has to really be generated from the resident. It has to come from the resident one way or the other, and this is a way that you can make sure that your priorities are identified. That again was the fact sheet. And we're gonna move on to some ways in which you can make your voice heard beyond the nursing home. I just want to mention that we are just launching the um, Family and Amazon Resource Center the past couple of months. These materials are brand new. They just went up um, over the weekend. Uh, we finalized them. We had um, uh, some Sean Wang, I think, is on, did some great work on this. I did Dara Blenajad. Uh, I'm not sure if Dara is on, but thank you both. I mean, this was um, uh, such a valuable opportunity for us to be able 
to put together these resources, and we're, we're putting together more as well, so check back. But moving forward, we just launched a tell my, new Tell My Story campaign. When I first started um, 16 years ago, the, um, you know, we had something that was mimeographed, and it was great, you know, it was great that we were collecting stories, but it was, um, it needed to be updated. And that's what we wanted to do here. So we have put together a tell my story form that can be used, and I'll show this briefly. It could be used on your phone, it could be used on your iPad, it could be used on your computer, it can be printed out and, and written out by hand, and you can send it back to us. Any way that you want to fill this out is fine. But it's so important and be so valuable for us to hear from families and from residents and those who work with them, whether anonymously or if you want to have your name uh, or give us your name, excuse me, it is so valuable. So I'm just going to quickly go through here on the left-hand side. We start with a few background questions. And I printed out the whole thing. It's four pages. The next slide will have the other two pages. This is it in its entirety. Uh, so we ask people, are you a resident, are you a family member, are you a, a staff person, are you an ombudsman, what type of facility you're in, whether it's a nursing home or assisted living or adult home. If you're writing about a positive or a negative experience, we want to hear both. We want to also show, because good care can be done. So we want, if you have a positive experience, something good happened to you, please, please let us know. Because we want to highlight that. We want to recognize when care staff and when nursing home owners and operators and administrators do a good job, because I know that they're out there, um, and I've met many of them, but we want to hear about that too, you know, whether it's a positive or a negative experience. And then some, you know, if you can classify or tell us a little bit about what, um, what the situation involved, was it a discharge from a facility, which we're hearing about, was it a food or dining issue, was it some kind of abuse, was it a medication issue, uh, et cetera, or was it something else? You know, you don't have to, we just want to give some ideas in terms of, you know, what kind of issue it was, but it could be something else and you could write that as well. Uh, and then did the situation raise concerns about the care the resident was receiving? Did the situation raise concerns about the safety of the resident? This would help us just to get an understanding of what the experience is, because we, uh, you know, we do talk to family members, we do talk to residents on occasion, and we talk to ombudsmen. Um, I'm very happy to say pretty frequently, but of course we don't hear from everybody. So anyone who wants to tell their story who may not uh, be, you know, want to do it in person or not be able to do it in person, we really want to hear from you. And the second page is entirely open. Please use as much space as you like to provide details of your story. We appreciate hearing about any situation that matters to you, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. I don't have any set criteria, oh, this has to be something that was extreme, this had to be something that was extraordinarily great or extraordinarily terrible. Want to hear about something that mattered to you. Uh, and we really appreciate that. And then I'll go through this a little more quickly. Is we have a few additional questions on the left-hand side about um, whether the resident was in short-term rehab or long-term um, care, uh, whether the resident had dementia. Uh, if you don't can't answer these questions, that's, of course, fine. And then... Optional on the right-hand side, this is the last page, are some questions about the person who is telling the story, uh, giving their name, etc. Now, we will keep all identify, identify, excuse me, identifying information completely confidential unless you give us specific permission to do otherwise. 
And there's actually a place here, question number 16, may we contact you in the future to share more about your story? We will only um, share anything identifying about your story if you give us permission, and then we will verify you, um, ver verify from you that we can do that, just to be absolutely sure. So otherwise, anything would only be told in the most general way. For instance, someone had a situation where their, um, where their mother-in-law um, you know, waited for a call bell, and no one answered the call bell after an hour, and she got up to go to the bathroom, and she slipped and she fell. Um, you know, that might be a story we would tell, but we would never say the name. We would never say the um, area where she lived. We would never say the nursing home, et cetera. So that would just be used, you know, as generally as possible to help people understand that people we talk to in the state government, the federal government, that these things are happening and that they're affecting our residents, our families, etc. This is to tell my story. On the left-hand side, it's a computer screenshot. On the right-hand side, it is an iPhone screenshot. So you can see you can actually fill this out uh, on your phone. And each each of these pages also have download to tell my story form. So if you're on your, your, your cell phone, if you're on your computer or iPad, you can actually download the form itself in, in a PDF, or you can fill it out right on the website or right on your phone. And then speaking out to policymakers. So that was talking about telling your story, telling your personal story about a good or a bad experience um, to us. This is speaking out to policymakers on issues or concerns that we've identified as important or that are important to you. So we have, you know, we're, we're of course a New York State-based organization. We have uh, we have action alerts that are focused on New York State. We also have action alerts that are focused on national issues. Um, regarding staffing, uh, regarding the um, uh, uh, wasteful spending in nursing homes. We'll certainly have more of those uh, coming down the line as we expect new regulations to come out, et cetera. And then we have some advocacy news and resources on the right. I just wanted to mention here, you could see in the orange bubble, um, this is something that someone told me when I first started. I was leaving a meeting uh, in our state capital in Albany. It was a, a senior legislative aide. And he said to me, nothing will happen unless legislators hear from their constituents that this is important. And I, I can tell you, I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that no time in my career uh, will it be more important to tell your story and to speak out, to send a message than it is now and in the coming months. Because the nursing home regulations are, frankly, uh, under attack. And we expect that there will be a significant move to diminish those basic standards, and we're going to need every possible voice. So I plead with you, honestly, to please um, you know, sign up for our action alerts. We don't send that a lot. We don't advertise. We don't share our list with anybody. But um, you know, on these action alerts, we'll get the word out when you can um, make a statement or you could share a concern about a nursing home or other long-term care issue. So this is just our uh, our staffing action alert right now. So you can see it discusses a little bit at the top, a couple of sentences on why staffing is so important. And then uh, you can see the contact information here. Uh, I have it so it automatically fills in with my name and my address and my phone number. You can do that or not. You don't have to. You can see there's a blue check right in the middle, update my fast action profile with this information. You don't have to do that. But again, this is, you know, everything is secure 
We do not share any of this information outside of our organization. And then here's a sample letter that you can send. Uh, I am writing to you about an important issue, safe staffing for nursing home residents. This is a current action alert. If you go to our action center after this program, you can send this out right now. You can send it out to people in your communities so, so they could send it out. And you could personalize it. What I do when I do an action alert like this personally is I will put my cursor in the middle of that box and I will write at the very top um, that this is an issue that is important to me. I may say why. I've had family in a nursing home. Uh, just, just a couple sentences to let them know that, um, that this is, is an issue that is important to you. And then at the bottom, click submit. That's it. It's, it's really pretty easy. It takes two or three minutes to do. Quick recap. So I wanted to, again, you know, mention how important it is to know your rights. We have a lot of resources out there. The Learning Center has fact sheets and issue alerts on issues that we've identified as important. We have a primer on essential nursing quality standards that you can use to identify issues that could be good for an Amazon program, people who are working with nursing home residents and families for a family or resident council to use as well. Uh, and then how to use your knowledge and resources that the Learning Center has, again, not only the fact sheets, but they also have these forms and tools, and we're building that library of tools for you to use. Uh, in the facility, when you talk to people in the facility, again, uh, I would try to be as cooperative, or we recommend being as cooperative as you can, uh, seeking the help of the ombudsman or the ombudsman program, working with other residents and families, the resident family council, registering concerns with the grievance officer. Uh, and I think I mentioned before, the grievance officer, upon request, has to give you a uh, the outcome of your concerns in writing. So that's valuable as well. And then outside the facility, the problem cannot be addressed with facility staff. Um, your knowledge of the rules and the resources, those forms, can be used to support a complaint to the State Department of Health, to the Medicaid Fraud Control Unit, Every state except I think North Dakota has a Medicaid fraud control unit with a patient abuse hotline um, to law enforcement or to an elder abuse attorney. So our next program is December 18th at 1 p.m. As I mentioned before, I was right on terms of timing. We're going to be talking about staffing, how to find out about staffing in your facility, and what it means for your residents' care and quality of life. There are, as of this summer, a lot of new, really great accurate data on the level staffing levels in nursing homes so we're going to talk about how to use this one at long-term care coalition i want to make sure i wish you a happy thanksgiving uh thank you for joining us today i'm going to open up a q a in a second i just wanted to mention you can email info at ltccc.org or call us at 212-385-0355 if you want to receive invites to future programs and our alerts on these other issues uh, we're on Facebook.com, LTCCC. We're on Twitter. Um, website, of course, again, is nursinghome411.org. And then we have some information here. If you're in New York State and you're an ombudsman and you'd like to let you, like us, excuse me, to let your supervisor know that you attended this training program, um, there's a quick survey at surveymonkey.com. And then for family members in New York State, we urge you to connect with the Alliance of New York Family Council. It's a great group. We're meeting tonight. Uh, www.anyfc.org. Uh, for those of you at the Ombudsman in New York State, the link is also 
available on the file that's posted on the website of this program. So lastly, I'm going to open up for Q&A, and we'll see how it goes if I can open up the... Hello. Do you have any questions or comments? I do. I, I, I don't know who's talking. I'm talking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Quick question. Where, couple. Where would you keep the completed patient preference or resident preference form? It's kind of long. The staff is constantly changing. A lot of agency folk. Where do you keep that? I would keep it with the uh, in the residents' room, and that's why. And you, I mean, it's four pages. What we did was, you know, I tried to put the most. Um, Essential points way at the top, and I also, as you can see by looking at the form, it has topic areas, so you know someone could quickly look and see if you if you're talking about bathing, bathing is right there. There's only a few boxes. You know what I mean? Everything right. is itself less than a page. So it it's really you know it was hard for me, frankly, because I know there's so many things that are important, and then at the same time, you know, being mindful of exactly the issue you're raising is that. No one's going to sit there and read a book about the resident every time the resident needs care. So how do we compromise? So I hope that, you know, if we could, you know, certainly tweak this down the line depending upon, you know, if we get comments from people. But I tried to make it so that the basic, you know, information was right on the front page and that everything else was, um, uh, you know, easy to find You're within, you know, a few-page documents. If you took it out both sides, it's, I guess, three pages. So okay, other questions. questions. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, quickly. Uh, on the uh, complaint form in the facility where I am, they get the staff to sign that they were talked to. Is that legal? And do you not have a place for signatures? Why do you not have a place? Well, this is this is for your personal record keeping. So it's oh. not. Yeah, it's not. It's not for the. It's not for the facility to say that it went through, that it went through something. This is for you personally to record. Because like what I was saying, I know that for me, and I know that family members that I've spoken to, they, um, uh, they don't always remember when they spoke to someone. I know, and that's true for me oh, too. Okay. I don't what I said. So it's really for your own personal record keeping going forward, but it could be useful. So I would say, you know, we'll talk about this in the future. If you were to call the Medicaid for until you the hotline or the health department, state health department hotline, you can say, well, I spoke about this, you know, um, to someone, uh, to a nurse in March, and here it is again in in November, and the same problem is recurring. But at that time, we can mention the staff name to whom we spoke. You could do whatever you want with that. That you're entitled to. Yes, you're entitled to record. You know, anyone. You know, anyone that you, you know, not record, not not record physically record, or you know, not uh, audio record, but. You're entitled to record the names of anyone that you spoke to, yes. The last question. You've referred to the federal uh, information as guidelines several times. Are they not regulations? There are. So there's the federal law, the nursing home reform law, and then the reform law is implemented through regulations. And then, um, but the regulations, are, they're, they're, in addition to the regulations, I should say, is that there are, um, there's guidance or uh, federal guidance, and that essentially is sub-regulatory language that fleshes out what the regulatory standards are. Yes, okay. I'm familiar with the way the feds work, but that, the guidelines can't be um, enforced, really. It's only the regulation itself. 
Well, the, as I said, the, the regulations say what the requirement is, but the guidance is sub-regulatory language. It, it essentially says this is what we expect to see. So, um, yeah. I'm done. Great. Anyone else? Uh, my name is Marin Hart. Our volunteer ombudsman in Des Moines, Iowa, and at our facility, they do have kind of informational sheets on the wall about them. But my concern is, is that confidentially okay? If you walk in, you see that you know someone likes this, or they like their bath time this time or that time, and anybody that comes in their room, guests or otherwise, sees this. Is that a concern? Uh, I would say yes. So. The, um, what the person asked is, um, I'm not sure if everyone could hear, is that they, um, is that the nursing home posts in prominent places what the residents, individual residents' preferences are, and is that a privacy concern? And I would say yes. So um, I would, one, this always has to be based upon what the residents want. And the resident, if the resident can't speak for him or herself, or can't communicate, then it's up to, you know, it goes to the resident's representative to say what he or she would want. Some people are more concerned about their privacy. Um, some are less concerned about their privacy, but it goes to the individual. And I would say that, you know, we always want to err on the side of respecting someone's dignity and privacy. So, uh, you, know, this, you know, you may not want to have this information Posted, or you might. Um, you know, I mean, you could you could post the um, uh, you know any part of what we put up. You could copy it and paste it into something else if you really wanted. Like I, I mentioned, you know, my brother-in-law had a sign above his bed saying "Bernard is blind," um, so you could do that in, in very large type uh, for people to come in. So you can you can take part of this if you wanted to. Some of it may be considered private. Some of it you may not consider private. Um, you know, we want people to be able to use it in any way as possible, but I say we really do want to be respectful, of course, of resident privacy. And what I would say on its face, it would not be appropriate for a facility to just plaster up what re residents' preferences are without being absolutely sure that that is what the resident wants and feels comfortable with. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Earlier, uh, you mentioned that uh, nursing home regulations are under attack uh, to be reduced. Uh, we're talking in Iowa here. Uh, would this be primarily on the state levels, or would it be primarily on the federal level, or both? Uh, it's primarily on the federal level. So everything that, that we always talk about, uh, you know, my programs, unless I specify otherwise, is based upon the federal requirements and the federal standards. Because that's really uh, where you know, the states have a little bit more, uh, are able to have a little bit more, but they don't necessarily. I'm just going to mute for a second while I speak so people can. Sorry about that. So people can, uh, excuse me, uh, states can have, uh, additional protections, but they can't essentially have less protections than what the federal are. Uh, but we always talk about the, uh, or I always talk about the federal requirements. And what we uh, know now is just as of about, I think a week ago, is that the federal agency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, 
submitted to the Office of Management and Budget proposed changes to the regulations. Uh, we are a nonpartisan organization, but um, the under the Trump administration, as many of you I'm sure know, there has been a substantial movement to reduce um, regulations across you know across the board, and the nursing home industry has been uh, very influential in the current administration. So they are talking about what what they call uh, so-called burden reduction and reducing some of these standards, and that's something about which we are extremely concerned because, as we know, um, you know, for so many residents, those these standards of care are not being implemented. To further reduce them is a very alarming prospect. Uh, they were supposed to come out in November. Actually, originally they were supposed to come out in June of this year, and that didn't happen. Uh, last we heard it was November, and as I said last week, these uh, proposals went to the Office of Management and Budget, and from there they would be released publicly for public comment. And so we'll be alerting people to that, uh, of course, and we'll be working on a response to that as well. Uh, yes, I can hear you. Yes, I just want to. My name is Gracia Norton. I'm an ombudsman on yes. Long Island. I uh, just appreciate the webinars that I have been uh, uh, involved in. And uh, just a fast question on the Survey Monkey. I did not get the last few uh, letters. Uh, it's slash LTCC dash LT, and then I, I went blank. Uh, okay, so it's surveymonkey.com forward slash R, as in Richard, forward yes. slash L-T-C-C-C dash L-T-C-O-T-1. D-O-T-1. Okay, very good. Yeah, I thank you very our, much. Yeah, it's on our website as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? Well, Hello, uh, yes. Yes, yes. Hi, I'm Janice uh, Zalin, a long-term care ombudsman in Maryland. Hi. My, hi, thank you for this um, webinar, which is very useful. I have a very quick question. You mentioned early on that it's good to try to get invited to the um, resident council, which I know long-term care ombudsmen can do, but it was my understanding that resident councils are mostly for residents and really not for family members. Is that incorrect? No, that's true. So the the resident councils, uh, I mean residents and, and residents for resident councils and families for family councils can invite whomever they like to attend the program. And that could be ombudsman. It could be they want to invite a staff person from the um, from their uh, from their facility. If they wanted to invite a family member, they could do that as well. Uh, but typically, uh, I mean, the, the law requires that it really is focused on the um, on the resident and on the family for the respective councils and, and it's directed by them in terms of who attends. Now residents can attend family members, uh, family councils, excuse me, but it's um, uh, you know I think it's personally I think it's most powerful when you have the residents with their own family council and family members um, directing their their um, council. Thank you. I agree with that. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, any other questions before we close up? Okay. Well, again, uh, I'm really interested. Please, if you have any comments, 
uh, please let us know. Uh, they're always appreciated. We do want to make these programs and the materials as good as possible. I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll hopefully talk to you in December. <laughs>